You're listening to the Your Queer Story podcast, the podcast that inspires peace, love, and radicalism, led by your favorite hosts, Evan Jones and Paul Hobbs. Trigger warning. Our content covers centuries of LGBTQ plus stories, and occasionally we may use outdated language or cover topics that include violence, assault, homophobia, transphobia, as well as other injustices against marginalized communities. Make sure you subscribe and review wherever you are listening, and be sure to follow us on all social media at Your Queer Story. And if you want exclusive content, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. You're here, now let's get queer. Hello, Christians. We just want to remind you all that Sojourner House of Rhode Island is offering two important free national services at this time. Any person in the United States who identifies as a victim of domestic violence, sexual assault, and or human trafficking can take part in their free virtual support groups every Monday and Tuesday. It's a healthy and accessible way for victims to find support, especially during this time of uncertainty due to COVID-19. The other service they're offering is a free at-home HIV testing kit. In order to receive yours, you simply have to send in a request to khawkins at sojournerri.org. That's k-h-a-w-k-i-n-s at sojournerri.org and set up a brief consultation. Then a test will be shipped to your home free of charge and you can self-administer and receive results within 20 minutes. After a few days, a Sojourner House representative will contact you just to make sure you have all the resources you need. There's no payments or further stipulations required for anyone receiving this important service. So connect with Sojourner House today and send in your request for support. If you have trouble getting through, then feel free to message Paul and Evan at yourqueerstory at gmail.com or message us on any social media platform at yourqueerstory. How do you know that it's saved? What happens if it doesn't save? <laughs> It'll download right from the browser. So I can just click this little download thing, and as long as the browser doesn't crash, we're okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, fuck me. Who knows what's going to happen? My computer's been a bitch lately, so we'll see. Okay, quick intro, everyone. This is our first ever virtual remote recording session. We're testing because we are... Uh, potentially going to be having a guest on and we want to make sure that we figure out what we're doing before you know that person gets also, on very it's really long past due because we should have been recording i mean we, we love to get together but we should have had this available for all the people we've wanted to bring on for guests for quite some time uh yeah definitely that would have made a lot of sense but you know <laughs> Here we are. Hopefully the audio quality isn't too horrible. Like one of us is really loud, the other one's really quiet. Yeah. <laughs> this is a, you get one shot people. So if this episode comes out crazy, that, that's it. That's all we have time for. <laughs> Who knows what's gonna happen, you're right. I mean, we could end up sounding great, honestly. We'll both have headphones on for the first time in our recording history, so. Yeah, that's, that's true. Something. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I can hear you you drinking in the background. I, it's just so <laughs> weird to me, and I know, I'm just telling the listeners to not see your face because I can feed off of you, and I can't feed off of you when you're sitting, you know, across the Well, uh, you know, I wish I we could have had video. We tried a different platform that unfortunately didn't offer video. 
Um, but I mean, you're not missing much. Today was Friday, and I was like, and I knew I wasn't gonna have any meetings today, so I am like straight up bum chic, messy hair. Because my hair is so messy because I tried to do the Gen Z middle part yesterday. And that did not work out for me, not even a little bit, I'm gonna be quite honest. Um, and then I just like tried to fix it from there and it, nothing, it, it's crazy. No, I'm not gonna get on board with the part thing. I've got the the hard side part going and it's staying there. And if everybody knows that I'm a millennial because of it, so be it, you know, what do I care? <laughs> Listen, you know what I did that I didn't even tell you I was getting done? I got Botox. <laughs> oh my, you know, <laughs> you did tell me because you you knew I was going to judge you, not because you're getting Botox, but just because you just keep doing these things to your body, which is fine, whatever, as long as you're happy. Where did you get the Botox at? Ideal Image in Cranston, Rhode Island. No, where on your body? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, you want to promote them? Okay, let's do it. Um, <laughs> I got it on my uh, crow's feet and my forehead. You don't even have bad crows. Exactly. Looks already and I'm going to keep it that way. <laughs> That's the point. My, you know, my kids told me the other day, because we make jokes all the time about how short I am. And we were, they were saying something about like we were walking to school and they're like, what if someone pulls over and they kidnaps us because we're kids? And I said, they might kidnap me, too, because I'm so short. And then my daughter goes, yeah, but you have a lot of wrinkles on your forehead. <laughs> That's that, that's pretty good. That's definitely something she would say, for sure. <laughs> exactly. But, but yeah, no, there's nothing much going on here. I mean, the same old, same old. I'm trying to think. I don't know what I'm going to do with myself with a Saturday morning where I don't have to record or write an episode. I know. That's and event. it's like the, I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, our, our wonderful, well, your wife, my fiance, you're going to be so excited. They actually get a full day. <laughs> full day with us that's what they want the yep 100 <laughs> percent. right now he is taking a bath right now oh, that's nice that's what i want to do later i know same yeah um anyways i don't know i i feel like we have nothing to talk about now i know I, we don't have the uh we don't have that chemistry of being in person to just any experience can be a story yeah, <laughs> It's so rad. This is why talking on the phone has never worked for our friendship. Like, we'll message all day and we'll talk nonstop when we see each other. But talking on the phone, remember when I moved to Indiana and I think we called, or not, I moved from Indiana. But it was like that six months we were apart. Yeah. And I think we talked on the phone twice that whole time. Yeah. And then I was just one day like, hey, I'm moving there. <laughs> <laughs> we twice. I didn't even know if the friendship was still going to be around anymore. I was just like, hey, I'm going to come out there. And I was like, yeah, you can. And then I moved him into my girlfriend's apartment, and it went great. Nothing happened. It didn't destroy <laughs> any progress you had made or anything like that, it you know? The relationship. But look where you're at now. Exactly. Look where you're at now. <laughs> it was a blessing, to be honest. It really was, because it was a, it was a shitty relationship, and it was good to be out of it. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah, sometimes you just need your best friend to ruin your relationship to open your eyes. That's what it takes, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyways. But, yeah, I mean, we do have a longer episode today, and I know that you have to get off because you have to watch RuPaul. Absolutely. Because... It's David and I. It's, like, one thing yeah. we look forward to every week in quarantine because it's the only freaking thing on TV that we haven't watched. 
Isn't is there there's a new I saw Davis put something about some new contestant that he likes that I don't Oh know. yeah, Bimini. Bimini Bomboulash. Uh they are non binary and they like are really open about it and um are they're extremely talented. Definitely my favorite. Very similar to David's drag, like the um, glam stripper look. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, sounds good. All right, well, check them out. I don't have anything else. Nope, me neither. We can just get right into it. Let's do it. Okay, why don't you start? Today, we're continuing our topic for March, which is covering various groups and movements that contributed to women's rights in America. While, it's, while it is not necessary to listen or review the pr- previous episodes in our series, we do encourage that you follow along in order. Our March episodes are built on a loose chronological order of events beginning in 1826 and running through the movements of today. In order to best understand how we have arrived at today's so-called radicalism, it is important to understand how each movement has built on those of the past. But with that in mind, wherever you are in our series, we welcome you to the, this year's celebration of Women's History Month felt very professional like i'm like uh, this is a documentary (laughs) yeah because you're just reading into the mic and you're not being distracted by me or hearing my dogs above your head or my kids that's true yeah i'm also gonna be honest i don't know if we're gonna make it through to the movements of today because this episode was supposed to span up until 1919 1920 and i only made it to 1900 because there's so much so wherever we land is where we land and we'll pick back up again later it's fine yeah that's perfectly fine so last week we oh oh my god you know what oh i gotta get my my glasses on oh (laughs) (laughs) you have never worn your glasses once when i'm there and suddenly i'm not there need your glasses to read because it's no i'm telling you like my computer's in front of me now because i'm talking and usually i'm looking i'm talking into the microphone and i'm looking at my phone which is literally right in my face that's but true now i'm looking at my computer which is farther away and my eyesight is bad a lot worse than i like to admit it yeah i remember <laughs> being your passenger in my early <laughs> 20s yeah all right you're fine um so anyways we covered the abolitionist and free love activism of the early to mid 19th century last week and the connection of these movements around women's history is that they were among the first in the u.s to give a political platform to women prior to the nation's 50th anniversary women had no say in politics save for a few wives of prominent men these women sometimes used their influence at home to sway their husbands decisions on political matters but even presidents' wives, such as Abigail Adams and Dolly Madison, were greatly hindered by their female status and were often shrugged off or ignored by their powerful spouses. It wasn't until a different radical movement emerged following the radicalism of the Revolutionary War that women finally found a voice. So, like, when you're talking, I don't know if you know anything, like, there's a, about Abigail Adams, but there's a lot where people write about her, and she would write to her husband a lot about how women needed to be treated uh, equally and fairly um and and sometimes you know he would he, he agreed with her and sometimes he would just be like all right now abby settle down sit down you're getting a little crazy <laughs> you're getting a, you want us to let you walk down the street mm-hmm. without a man <laughs> absolutely not don't be reading don't get to thinking too much so exactly that was- that was kind of like the attitude, but there were a few women that did have some power, but it wasn't, you didn't have a political platform. Usually if women had any kind of platform, it, one, it was in like a religious role. So there were some women preachers mm-hmm. and then, or two, it was in like a community role. So maybe 
later on you could be like a, a school teacher or a school board um uh you know elect official yeah. that was the way later on but you definitely didn't talk about politics openly if you were a woman and that's why uh we were talking last week about the constitution and how it it really doesn't represent the actual united states it only represents a group of the people of the united states um and like it just shows through all of this time after the revolutionary war that women just had like no say in anything yeah as we covered last week did i literally just say everything (laughs) no no no. go ahead as we covered last week in the fight to gain freedom for black slaves many abolition abolition abolitionists 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 began to see the abuses leveled against Native tribes, Mexican residents, and women as a whole. The call to freedom from white patriarchal authority soon branched off into what became known as the women's suffrage movement. When first developed, however, suffrage, the right to vote, was but one point on the lengthy list. During this time, most women were focused on free love. Free love was the ideology that an individual should be able to love whomever they choose, whenever they choose, for as long or as short as they choose or as they chose. The idea directly challenged the constraints from bondage of marriage at the time and the social order of Eastern America. There was, so it's really big. A lot of people don't even know because like we talked about last week, 1848, that Seneca Falls Convention, which was the first formal women's rights convention. And it's where they drafted their letter of uh, sentiments or their declaration of sentiments. And they almost took suffrage off of it because the, the, the fuck, the fight to vote was not a primary focus of women's rights until much later on. It almost wasn't a focal point at all. Yeah, so they wanted to just get the base level mm-hmm. of like, um, I don't know, I wanted to say citizenship, but I guess that's technically the right word anyways. Yeah, well just like base, yeah, base um, citizen rights. I mean, there was... Uh, there's this when we talk about suffrage now it's such a huge point in history but that wasn't what it was about because again you had all these groups coming together and they were seeing the inequality and they were all working towards a common goal it wouldn't be till later on as we'll talk about that it it shifted right so women had little rights in the homes of their youth always seen as a father's charge until they could be married off however once turned over, betrothed, or outright sold to a suitor, a woman became a man's property fully on the wedding day. She had no rights to her land, wealth, children, education, body, or soul. While husbands were permitted and even expected to pick up at least a few girlfriends or mistresses, the mere hint of scandal on a woman's part would result in social and financial ruin. And uh, just elaborating on this point, I, I, get, I can't stress that enough to where like you if you were a man you had several girlfriends or you just uh, you know raped your slaves or whatever but if a woman was even caught talking to a man in uh, in a place where she shouldn't be that was scandalous she could immediately be divorced that was grounds for divorce I think if you've I don't know if you watch Bridgerton you probably I ha- haven't I have not no Okay, well, there's this. I'm not spoiling anything, but there's a scene where, like, she's the one of the main characters, girl, is caught in the garden with a guy. And just the fact that she was in the garden was enough to be a scandalous event. And that was, that was, that was true. That was how people still saw things. That's wild. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. It's just crazy to me. The, uh, the double standards and, like, just the, uh, lack of empathy and just, like, it's just I don't know it's very much like you were saying last week um, very much just like how it is today a little bit yeah yeah 
So women could be legally beaten, raped, assaulted, confined, and humiliated all at their husband's whims. And of course, this does not mean that romance was dead and that all women in the past lived in misery with abusive husbands. Naturally, many couples were quite happy and in love, and history has shown various women who rose above the restraints of their day. But it is also important to wonder how much different our history might have been if women had not been forcibly sidelined for much of it. Who is that? Is that <laughs> no, that, that was David. I was like, did this bitch get a <laughs> of my and walk across his room? Would you have been surprised? <laughs> I wouldn't have been surprised, but I would have been angry. <laughs> <laughs> the abolition and free love act, uh, activists began to change much of this. And after the 1848, how do you say it again? Seneca. And after the 1848 Seneca Falls Convention, a formal women's right, rights movement was in place. Together, women fought with other black and white male activists for. Hang on. Together, women fought with other black and white male activists for an end to slavery. As both abolition and women's rights gained uh, gained momentum, the country itself charged ahead towards civil war. Standard history books mark the beginning of the Civil War at 1861, when shots were fired at Fort Sumter in South Carolina. But black historian and author W.E. Du Bois points the beginning of the Civil War in Kansas around 1854, when the Kansas-Nebraska Act resulted in the bloody skirmishes that soon turned into a national battle. More than half a decade before the South Carolina militia fired on a federal military fort, the people of Kansas were already at war, and women were in the thick of that war. Um, we're not doing a commercial break on this, just because it'll be too crazy. Oh, we're not? No. Well, then ridiculous. Then <laughs> scratch it all. So... Um, I, I really like so I'm reading this um, this other book which we will definitely be talking about in the future it's written by a trans individual and it's about it's uh, called In Defense of Looting and it's about I actually know, almost picked that up from Barnes and Nobles uh, not too long ago you should pick it up you should pick it up because it's definitely your kind of uh, history it's a history mixed with I don't want to say philosophy not philosophy but ideology um, mm -hmm. definitely like it's mostly history but there's it's it has a biased perspective, but not any more biased than our perspective, right? Like we tell right. the the stories of history that other people don't tell. Um, and anyways, so, uh, and they were talking about that and how Du Bois and how important it is to notice that the Civil War started in really the 1850s, even though it would be you know years before there were shots fired at Fort Sumter. Sorry, it's similar to where we're at today. I mean, I don't know if there's a Civil War right around the con the corner, but any war it always starts a lot earlier than when people actually think it did right that when the clear divide starts happening yeah yeah um is it me or are you next it's it's me okay so perhaps the most prominent suffragette of american history and certainly the most prominent queer suffragette of our history is susan b anthony the mammoth icon casts a long shadow over women's rights activism and her contributions to the movement have led many historians to hide or obscure her sexual orientation. It has equally moved many to skim over the vitriolic, the vitriolic racism she spewed against black people when she felt the fight for equality was becoming too cluttered. We will certainly address the racist attitudes of Anthony and how her narrow view of equality shaped a movement that increasingly excluded the very people who allowed for white women to have a political platform. That's very typical, unfortunately. Right? <laughs> it's like every single time they're like, here's this great person, but actually behind the scenes they were awful. 
I, I, mean, I think like Anthony, yes, like she, I, I don't want, you can't excuse the thing she said. I mean, she got really bad towards the end. It's just frustrating because she also was so important to women's history and she was important to queer history, even though she couldn't be fully out. I mean, she was probably about as out as you could be at that time without coming right out and saying I'm a lesbian. Um, so like in those two respects she's she's an icon in women's history she's an icon in queer history but she's also was awful to to black people later on you know and, well you know racist attitudes are always there but yeah anyways mm-hmm. um susan b anthony perfectly represents the division the division feminist movements have experienced from the civil war through our modern era today some feminists insist that trans women have no place in women's spaces 60 years ago some feminists insisted lesbians had no place in women's spaces and 100 years ago some some feminists insisted black women had no place in women's spaces that was like a tongue twister (laughs) trying to be whatever (laughs) Mm -hmm. furthermore with these rough estimates of time Uh, Furthermore, while these rough estimates of time show when peak resistance was prevalent, all of these themes have continued since the birth of women's rights in the early 1800s. We state this to hold ourselves and feminism accountable to its own standards of of equality. Yeah. We state this to hold ourselves and feminism accountable to its own standards of equality for all, but this statement is not meant in any way to discredit the countless feminists and activists who did continue to champion full equality. As we said last week, for every time there was a suffragette looking to exclude others, there was also those who remained committed to fighting for all people regardless of race, gender, orientation, or expression. And so for her many shortcomings, Susan B. Anthony was certainly a formidable foe to those who wished to silence women completely. Born in February of 1820, Anthony belonged to a family of reformers. Her brothers would head to Kansas after the Compromise of 1850, and her brother Merritt even fought alongside John Brown before Brown raided Harper's Ferry. Susan met Elizabeth Cady Stanton in 1851, a few years after the the first Women's Rights Convention. The two women would strike up a lifelong friendship and become leaders and heroes in the suffragette movement. Yet during those early days, people could only speak of war, and it wouldn't be long before Anthony and many other women's rights activists were in the throes of the Civil War. From the mid-1850s through 1865, the fight for female equality set on the back burner while the nation unraveled. Oh, that, would have, that must have been the most insane time. I can't even imagine. I mean, remember, we have Buchanan as president during this time. Right mm-hmm. before, you got Pierce, who was really awful. And then you have Buchanan, who did absolutely nothing and was just like, he was racist, but he was like the guy that sat back, you know. Was like, right, just whatever racist. happened. <laughs> whatever happens, happens. Um, and then you have this, it was it's just really intense. You had these these slave revolts that are happening. You have you have riots in cities. People who are rioting for anti-slavery and who people who are rioting for slavery. And then yeah. Kansas is already at war. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like there's Western expansion. People are fighting literally in the streets. All of this is happening, and the whole time the American government is just like nothing to see here (laughs) (laughs) sounds about uh like how the the 80s happened and how uh the trump uh coronavirus pandemic happened it's just like oh um rather than uh, facing this how about we just kind of pretend nothing's happening right i mean even with the the protests and riots of last year i mean i know 
that they had Trump sent in the guard and everything. But for the most part, when you consider the amount of unrest that there was in 2020 and the government's response, even then the government was still just kind of like, well, let's just sit back and see what happens. Yeah, that's true. They didn't do anything to like fix the issues that were causing the protest. They just literally sat back and were like, okay, you'll be done eventually. Um, in 1854, just as the Kansas-Nebraska Act was passed, Clarina, Nichol- Clarina Nichols relocated her family to Kansas to take up the fight against slavery. Nichols was a friend of Anthony and a form and an informal representative of the women's right movement. Room- women's rights movement. Her activism, her activism would influence Kansas to ratify the 19th Amendment, extending the vote to women. Several decades later. However, during the bleeding can- however, during the bleeding canvas campaign, Nichols was focused on anti-slavery demonstrations and being an active station master on the Underground Railroad. Several hundred miles away, her friend Susan B. Anthony was working with Harriet Tubman to help slaves escape to freedom and continuing her public advocacy against slavery and for women's rights. Like Tubman, Anthony was often mocked in public as being too manly or having mannish mannerisms. This absurd attempt to ed- this assert ugh. This absurd attempt to attribute mannerisms of, to men or women does again give us a peek into the ways in which gender defiance has always accompanied revolution. Paul, I don't know if it's my headphones that went bad or if your your um or if it's your microphone went quiet. What did it for? How long? It's. It, I mean, now it just sounds weird. I don't know. Like a second here. All right, say something. Hello? I, I just don't know. I mean, it, it sounded like it was really loud, and now all of a sudden it's not. But again, it could be that I have really cheap headphones. Um, I'm watching my levels, and they're still pretty good. Same levels? All right, then it's just me. Okay. Hopefully it's just you. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, I have dollar for headphones. Um, all right. So um, anyways, I wanted to touch on this. So two things. Like we said, I mean... There, there's like two Susan B. Anthony's. There's the Susan B. Anthony before the Civil War and the one after. And the one before the Civil War was, I mean, right there in the middle of the fight to end slavery, working with people like Harriet Tubman. Um, I did, I put in the comments about her being mannish or manly because number one, I think that shows. Uh, again, uh, I mean, not not trying to use stereotypes, but again, that gender bending, like we said, like the mm-hmm. gender defiance, anytime someone did the slightest thing and defy the gender boundaries that it, you know, they defied the system as a whole. Right. And then everybody had a problem with it because you weren't, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know the word. <laughs> because you weren't compliant? Uh, not compliant. When, um, you convert a group of people into your way of life. I don't know. Is that not compliant? <laughs> no. I don't know what the word is. <laughs> okay. But the point is, you would see this again and again, and I didn't put as much of it in the scripts because, again, there's so much to cover in, in something that needs books and books and has books and books written about it. But um, but just, like, again, reminding people, like, that, that gender defiance was throughout the entire thing, whether there was a woman refusing to marry, whether it was re- her refusing to wear um, all proper garments, even her undergarments, even a woman refusing to wear proper undergarments was a form of gender defiance. And it's certainly her having any kind of job or publicly speaking was defying genders, which is what we do today, just in a different way. Yeah, basically, that's true. Yeah. 
1861 dawned, so did the formal break of the Civil War, and a new voice began to emerge onto the scene of female activists. I think this is supposed to be a different emerge. I knew that was wrong. <laughs> that was right. I had it right, and they, they did it wrong. Okay. <laughs> a new voice began to emerge on the scene of female activists. Anna Dickinson, lovingly referred to by Anthony as Dickie, which is, I don't know, I guess that's cute, was also the daughter of abolitionists. <laughs> I In guess. Fact, <laughs> I guess. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, she called her Dickie and she called her something like Chicky Dickie. No. <laughs> Anyways, um, in fact, Dickinson's family was a stop on the Underground Railroad, and one of her father's final acts before his death was giving a speech against slavery. I tried to see if he was killed for giving the speech, or if it just happened that he died after, but he died when she was very young. <laughs> that would be a horrible um, like coincidence. Right? Yeah, it's very odd. Like you died very... right after, but you didn't get killed for the speech, so you didn't become a martyr. Like you just died. Right. I know. They didn't clarify, so that's why I'm not sure what happened. I just know that she was young. So Dickinson would pick up her family's reins at age 14 when her first speech was published in William Lloyd Garrison's newspaper, The Abolitionist. And William Lloyd Garrison was one of the most prominent abolitionists of the era. By the age of 19, she was touring the war-torn country, giving lectures on freedom and equality that eventually earned her the title, the Joan of Arc of the Civil War. And though Anna could not be an open lesbian during this time, her refusal to marry and her avid love for women was quite obvious. One young woman named Ida wrote to Anna of their previous meeting and how Anna was tempting me to kiss her on her sweet mouth. You know it would be really, really uh, cool um, coffee table book? What? A collection of old, like, letters like that. Yeah. Secret oh lesbian and, like, secret gay and lesbian letters from, like, just like with, the 1800s. With the parts, like, pulled out of them because they're just in there and, like... I, and I don't know, I mean, there are some letters that were found later on, to be fair, but there's also lots of letters that were always around and for just decades people, like... Well, yeah, of course she wanted to kiss her on her sweet mouth because that's what friends do. <laughs> it just kept yeah, I do remember all of those. I remember some of those in like grade school and middle school and being like, that just doesn't seem right to me. But if that's, what I, I mean, that's what the book says. So. <laughs> I mean, they're just good friends. So, okay. Mm -hmm. And one of Anna's greatest loves was Susan B. Anthony. The two carried on quite an intense relationship before Anna eventually met and fell in love with her life partner, Sally Ackley. Anthony wrote to Anna, I invite you to come to me here and sleep with me in my fourth story bedroom at Mrs. Stanton's ever so uh, many nights to snuggle you, to snuggle you, darling. Oh, it's, it's weird because it's old, like old stuff. Yeah, yeah, I to know. snuggle you, To snuggle you, darling, closer than ever. Anna responded with her own feelings for Susan, sending a picture and writing, I want to see you very much indeed, to hold your hand in mine, to hear your voice in a word, I want you, I can't have you, well, I will at least put down a little fragment of my foolish self and send it to look up at you. And I was gonna say, how the hell did she send her a picture? They didn't have smartphones, but then I remembered there's actual mail. <laughs> you know, the, there's this thing that they used to have, it was called photographs, and you could get them printed out. In my day, we had to print them out, put them in our wallet, we had to shuffle, we could just pull them and And they would all get bent up. <laughs> exactly, mm -hmm. you'd have one. I had the weirdest pictures in my wallet as a kid because you just want, I don't know, for me, I, I wanted to have pictures, but like, I didn't have pictures. 
and worth showing. So I'd have like my cousin and I'd have just a picture things. of my pastor. Just like, <laughs> that's just a little so creepy. I could pull out. <laughs> of course, it's creepy. It's weird as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Um, even after Dickinson moved on to other women, it seems she made a lasting impression on Anthony. After years of no contact, Susan wrote to Anna, My darling Anna, I'm awfully glad to know you still live. No one has ever, no one ever has to or ever will find the niche in my heart that you did, my dear. Um, and you know what else was really horrible about photographs? What? They were just covered in fingerprints no matter what you did. Oh my god, How, right? They were around for so long, how did no one develop a, a reasonably priced fingerprint resistant photograph? Why yeah. was that not a, like a common thing? Mm, there was just there were so many things about it right you know in your your full photo album it was funny the last like year that i've been at cvs uh, we had one bottom shelf of photo albums that oh were my god never that bought. thing was so never. dusty at all <laughs> it's times what I was gonna say, you pull what? it out and you're just be covered in dust because nobody bought them nobody's using a photo album anymore ever but you know those old ones that were yellow and sticky and you put the photo on there and then you put the piece of plastic yep. over top do you have those? My grandma probably had like six of those. Oh, Every my time grandma there, at her house has probably at least 100 of those and like 40 Jesus. boxes of pictures. I'm not even joking. My grandma has a lot of boxes of pictures. So yeah. I guess I just thought that was normal for her grandmas to have that, but I guess hearing yours <laughs> only has six. I'm a like, um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's got several boxes of photos. She does have lots of boxes and she has some random kinds of photos. She has six of those sticky photo buds. But yeah, I, I don't even want to think about what it's going to be like whenever I got to clean out her house one day and just box and box after photos, the shit that we're going to go through. And every time we go over there, she wants to pull them all out. We don't have time for that, Grandma. Oh, there's I like to many. go through them. I like to I go, go through, through them, them but time. there's so many. Do you know the pictures that grandmas save? I mean, we're talking about like the bad shot at a party where it's oh, all yeah. fuzzy and you can see one person in the background. <laughs> Why are we saving that picture? We don't. They, there are a lot of those pictures. <laughs> exactly. You don't have to save every photo because back then, kids, you couldn't just delete the photo. Like if you took a bad picture, you were stuck with it, but you could throw it away. Not grandmas. No, they kept Anyways. everything, no matter how bad you looked. But back to Susan and Dickie. Um, so clearly there was something going on here. Um, uh, it was really sad. I didn't continue on with Dickinson's life. But like at the end of her life, she got put into an insane asylum. And mostly it was because, first of all, she kept speaking out. Like she was getting more and more radical. They were like, shut up. <laughs> You're going in here sad. just so you stop. That's crazy. I think it's part like like she was. So she she was be becoming more and more radical she had um, never married by this time she was old she'd be considered a spinster she had been living with her lover sally for 30 years but sally was married and her husband just seemed okay with the situation he's like yeah that's my wife's lover and whatever um but <laughs> hey, her, i mean that's good that was a good right setup. yeah it worked for them i mean it reminds me a lot of like emily dickinson um and and her uh girlfriend sue or and how sue and then, you know, her, Sue married someone else and Emily just kind of waited around. But, <clears throat> and but, Eleanor uh, Roosevelt. <laughs> and Eleanor Roosevelt. Yeah, lots of lesbians had that situation. But Anna, um, I think her sister put her in the home, in the insane asylum, because partly because Anna was gay. But 
thankfully Anna was able to sue and she got out of the asylum, but then she was financially ruined and she just never like regained her prominence. Oh, that's horrible, but at least she was able to get out. Yeah, at least she got out. <clears throat> I'm coughing a lot. Okay, good. This is all good. So there were various reasons that women, the woman drifted apart. For one, Susan and Anna had a 22-year age difference. And for another, the war separated many lovers and friends. Can you still hear my dogs in the background? Yes, I can. Because wherever I go, there they are. Mm -hmm. But one other reason that could be for the divide in the relationship would be the great schism that sharply divided the relationship between the abolitionists and the suffragettes. Upon the ending of the Civil War, the implementation of full emancipation of slaves, abolitionists, uh, upon the ending of the Civil War and the implementation of full emancipation of slaves, abolitionists came face to face with an issue they had long set aside. What major issue should they take precedence now that slavery had ended? Black male leaders like Frederick Douglass argued that black male suffrage was life or death to the newly freedmen. White female leaders such as Stanton and Anthony argued that women's suffrage was most important and most reasonable. Frances E. Harper, a black woman and leader in the equal rights movement, argued for universal suffrage. But while Harper's idea was the most inclusive, she and her supporters were mostly drowned out by the growing tension between Douglas and Anthony. Um, things got ugly quickly in meetings of the era, American Equal Rights Association. Susan B. Anthony, the woman once assisted... Oh. Susan B. Anthony, the woman who once assisted Harriet Tubman in aiding slaves to freedom, now stood in meetings with Frederick Douglass and Sojourner Truth and threw out racial slurs as she mocked the need for black civil rights. There was a sense of entitlement that Anthony had. Uh, there was a sense of entitlement that Anthony held. The idea that she had fought so long for an end to slavery and now it was the woman's turn. The fact that black women would have no rights without black civil rights was something Anthony and her close friends Stanton. The fact that black women would have no rights without black civil rights was something that Anthony uh, and her close friends, Stanton, Mott, and others seemed willing to live with. Momentum for Anthony was bolstered by the white middle-class support of the temperance movement. So you just kind of like shattered into three sections. And Frances E. Harper was really amazing. I didn't cover her enough because part of me is trying to like keep this as much about queer history as I can but you know queer history is all history right. um, but but Harper had the most sense and the most reason which is universal suffrage and when you're reading about old um, when you're reading older women's rights history you'll hear the story goes that you know Frederick Douglass and black um, men rose up and wanted to, it to be all about black male suffrage and uh, Anthony and Stanton went there with the idea of having universal suffrage, but then they just felt too offended. And I think some of that's true, but then the, you know, the events that followed are also like, well, but where did you really care about universal suffrage? Because you, you gave it up pretty quick, yeah, you know? Right. Instead of, uh, you know, everybody could just work together. <laughs> yeah. That would yeah, have made it, was, it a lot easier. It was one of those things where they were, they, you know, it was like everybody, every man for himself to use a term that mm -hmm. doesn't really apply. But the the idea of, well, we need to focus on our issue the most. And this is what's most important. It right. just it's sad that a movement that unified everyone that was so had such a great common goal, then suddenly fell apart. Mm hmm. So we have not focused much on the movement, this movement, meaning the temperance movement, though it certainly played a significant role in women's rights to vote. 
Temperance was the belief that alcohol was the root of all evil in the world and that by ridding the U.S. of booze, America could become a Christian utopia. Most temperance leaders held the sexist view that men were more susceptible to alcohol than women and therefore it would take a woman's vote to end alcohol's reign. And I really will talk about this more next week, but people really started to believe that if women could vote, the entire world would change. Which, if you've never had women vote, I guess it makes sense, right? Uh, yeah, like, uh, obviously, it would, that would make everything change. Right, you would think that's that half women, of the popul- Yeah, half the population that has their own ideals and thoughts that mm-hmm. never had any access to making any change. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of shit's gonna change. Well, that's what they thought. I mean, mm-hmm. what we found was that really a lot of shit didn't change that much. But the people really thought that if once women started voting within like 20, 30 years, you know, we would end world hunger and we would end every all the ill wills of the world. Like women were going to fix all that. Mm-hmm. And what mostly happened was women voted, you know, along their party lines as right. people do. That's true. So most temperance leaders, uh, wait, I went dead. So these elite and middle-class women held the poor, unrefined classes in contempt as lowly alcoholics. And naturally, most black, brown, and indigenous people were forced into poverty as well as the growing populations of Irish, Scottish, and Chinese immigrants. So these were the people that they held in contempt. The temperance movement's disdain for poor, by, for poor BIPOC, so that's black indigenous people of color, were evidenced by the comments of their leader, Francis Willard, who stated in an open interview, Better whiskey and more of it. That's the rallying cry of great dark-faced mobs. The safety of white women, of childhood, of the home is menaced in a thousand localities. So again, That's not, not, not direct at all. <laughs> no, no, right? <laughs> not trying to be subtle there, are you, Francis? So th- this is where you start to shape the narrative of, you know, black people drink too much. And, and of course, more black people were also including indigenous and, and, and Mexican and Hispanic right. individuals. But they drink too much. And, and that's why we have to get rid of, of alcohol because then we're going to help them so they can be better. And that's a, a very big into that uplift suasion. That doesn't that sound uh, um, like the war on drugs at all. This does not no. <laughs> sound exactly like the thing that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the modern version of this. Yep. In order to gain her vote, Anthony turned her back on her black sisters and embraced the temperance movement. And was um, and was in this and it was in this rift that the women's rights movement transformed into the wolf, women's suffrage movement, a form of activism dedicated solely to a woman's right to vote. This narrow a woman's uh, right to vote. Oh, a white um, a form of activism dedicated solely to a white woman's right to vote. This narrow outlook on equality greatly shifted the efforts and work on of women's suffrage. With the passing of black male suffrage in 1870 through the 15th Amendment, the rift was sealed. Women who supported the amendment formed the AWSA, the American Women's Suffrage Association, while those such as Stanton and Anthony who opposed the amendment formed while those such as Stanton and Anthony who opposed the amendment formed the NWSA, the National Women's Suffrage Association. Over time, the NWSA grew in power while the AWSA struggled. And, so, um, go ahead. Yeah. Nope, I don't know what I was gonna say. Okay, I was just, I was just saying, you know. So it was that Fifteenth Amendment. So there was a couple years. So the Civil War ends in 1865, and over the next couple years, I mean, there's a lot going on. Around 1867, you start to see the people begin to fight and argue over what they're going to focus on. 
and as soon as the um, the Fifteenth Amendment was ratified and, and black men were supposedly given the right to vote, of course we know that you know yeah, Reconstruction took that away. All kinds of crazy things. Yeah, but um, but once that happened, that that was it. That was when uh, Anthony was out, and I mean, and that's why I say it shifted hard like she mm-hmm. just became openly racist and openly hostile and like she blamed black men for taking her right to vote as if it wasn't just the fact that i mean this is a white male patriarchy there's still the same enemy but all of a sudden right. she was blaming other people that well of course once you get a little taste of something then you know it, it can become easy to forget everybody else mm-hmm. yeah So in 1890, just 20 years later, the NWSA absorbed the AWSA and became the NAWSA, which was the National American Women's Suffrage Association. That's not ridiculous at all. (laughs) No, no, no. So the NAWSA centered their argument around how good Christian white women could save the nation if only they were allowed to vote. Excuse me. The irony is that most of the budding leadership were lesbians, atheists, and radicals who didn't even support organized religion. I mean, you really had two people here. Like, you had you had the temperance movement who were very white, Christian, straight, middle class. But you also had Stanton and Anthony and, and these women who had been radicals. These were women who charged the steps of the Capitol, literally. Like, Literally, but not not the way they did it on uh, January 6th of this year, <laughs> yeah. but they, they charged up, to, you know, this was, you know, Anthony was arrested several times for trying to vote. These were women who refused to get married based solely on the principle that they believed that marriage was bondage. And these were men, women who many of them were lesbians or they were at least queer identifying and they're. They're pushing this narrative that if we can have this white Christian middle class utopia, everything will be good. And it's like, you don't even fit that. Why is, but you know, but it's it's like a way for them to get a piece of the pie though. And Mm -hmm. just skating on by. Exactly. So, but not skating on by because they were working, but you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I know. Yeah. Projecting themselves onto another group of people for a common goal because they wanted it fully fit. Yeah. Yeah, so they sold out their, I mean, these former abolitionists and free love individuals sold out their own morals and stances for one thing, and that was the right to vote. And, and again, like I said, that's because they believed so passionately that if they could vote, they would change the world. Right. But protect the whites was a selling point, and a fight for women's suffrage was certainly funded, even despite strong opposition to the women's vote. So when they went on this platform, they started to get some good funding. They started to get some good momentum. It would still be decades before they would get the vote, but it finally, it went from a very struggling, loose group of women who were seen sometimes as too radical to much more mainstream. Mm The AWSA, which had been the American Women's Suffrage Association, had been composed of poor laborers and BIPOC women along with their male counterparts. In addition to women's suffrage, they were also dedicated to many other pressing matters of the day. And one by one, they abandoned Anthony's suffrage fight, not because they didn't believe in a woman's right to vote, but because there was no room for them in the movement. On one side stood the progressives and Christians, White leaders Alice Paul, Anna Howard Shaw, and Alice Stone Blackwell were queer women who fought aggressively for women's rights, yet also continued the racist uh, practices of the past. On the other side, on the other side were the oppressed and laborers such as Ida B. Wells, Lucy Parsons, Mary Church Terrell, and, Angel- and Angelina Wells Grimke. Is that right? 
Mm-hmm. Yes. All black and brown women who sought true universal suffrage. All these women were from both sides would oppose each other, call one another out, and yet also find a way to pass the 19th Amendment. We will tell you more of their stories in next week's episode. So, yeah, so like I said, I kind of stopped right there where we get, if you're wondering, like, if you if you know, well, hey, I know that there's a lot of black women suffragists, so what do you mean that they abandoned the vote? I just mean that during this time, they kind of backed off. I mean, like, there were other things to take care of, and it was clear that the white women's white um, suffrage movement was not going to allow them in. Right, we there, start there to was see... nothing they could have done there. Exactly. There was nothing for them there. Yeah, and but we do start to see around after 1910 where the movements kind of rejoin a little bit. I'm not saying there wasn't still plenty of racism. We'll talk about that, but we start to see some some momentum around there. But anyways, like I said, we'll talk about that next week. Your recommended resource is Vanguard, How Black Women Broke Barriers, Won the Vote, and Insisted on Equality for All by Martha S. Jones. And we also challenge you to get ahead of next week's topic by reading some of the works of Ida B. Wells. Um, One of her most uh, notorious works is Southern Horrors. She is the woman who did uh, a lot of the research on anti-lynching laws and really the lynching movement of the time. So Ida B. Wells is the the individual, the journalist, who set forward and said, you know, you are telling everyone that black men are being killed because they're assaulting white women, but my statistics show that that's not what's going on. And... Uh, even for posing that she was considered radical like she laid the facts out for people and she was still considered too far left but she's they a, had a their huge own figure. alternative uh, facts you know <laughs> exactly she was fake news exactly um, <laughs> so and we also challenge you to get ahead oh and you can also read um, some of the works by Angelina Grimke uh, and Grimke was not a um, she was a little bit. She was an activist. Her writing wasn't very political, but it was somewhat. She was, but she was a, a black lesbian um, who advocated for women's suffrage. And we'll talk about her. Or you can check out the short documentary, The Nineteenth Amendment, which is available on YouTube and is also linked on our script. So I just have a one question. Yes. Um, this is for our questions. Was that as awkward for you as it was for us? It was, I hope it was, because I hated all of that. I, I was did like, too. It was the most <laughs> uncomfortable thing I have ever done, and I'm sure you could tell the whole time that was so bad. It was, I, I hate it. I don't think this is for us. I think it's great for interviewing other people, but I felt like I was talking to a stranger. Yeah, so I, I I'm did I'm really too. sorry if this was a horrible episode. <laughs> um, I, I agree with you completely. But with that, stay queer. Don't get a lobotomy. We love you, our uh, allied hookers. And a little succulent sapphists. Resist the oppressors, our proud homocrats. And have yourself a sodomy circus. Or don't. In Black Lives Matter. In Black Lives Matter. (laughs) Oh my god, that was so... Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe and review wherever you are listening and follow us on social media at Your Queer Story. Like what you heard? Want to share your story? Send us a voice message to add to the podcast from the Anchor app or at anchor.fm slash yourqueerstory. And if you would like to support the work we do or get exclusive content, check us out on patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. See you next week. Bye. Bye.